Well, good morning, church family. For a number of weeks, a number of weeks, we've been looking Old Testament and New Testament, looking to God's Word to try to answer the question, what is the church? And I know some of you are probably maybe a little tired of that subject, hearing me reintroduce it week after week after week. But there's a sense in which I'm very excited to get to this morning's description of the church because now things are going to begin to get very tangible, or at least they should. So you remember a few weeks ago in Acts chapter 2, we talked about the heart and soul of what the church, the early church, the present church was to be about. It was about the Word, sacraments, and prayer. And this morning, I think a good summary of what we're about to hear is is that expression you've heard before. And that is that the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Right? You've heard that expression. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And this morning in our passage, we have our first problem in the local church. We have our first conflict in the local church. And now suddenly heads perk up because we're like, problems, conflicts? Other people have conflicts and problems? Well, now I'm interested to hear, right? Well, we have what is the first conflict and problem in the early church, and it's a significant one, and it's one that's going to teach us something very important about how every one of us has something to do for the good of the church. So that the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Give your attention to Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews, the Greek-speaking Jews, among them complained that the Hebraic Jews, the Hebrew-speaking Jews, because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. And so the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Let's pray that God would bless not just our hearing of his word, but our putting it to practice. Let's pray. 
Lord, would you open our eyes this morning as a church family that we might see that there is something for us to do. There is tangible, practical ministry within our midst that the gospel might go far and wide, both locally and globally. So, Lord, show us true things. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So all week as I've considered this passage, and and I've really been eager to preach this, it is amazing how much the truth of this text has popped up in my life this week. But I've had a recurring memory of how as a teenager, and some of you are teenagers now, others of you will have similar memories to this, but but my father would have a hands-on project. Maybe we would be fixing a lawnmower, working on a car, doing something where we're fixing something. And of course, the sons were obligated to be there. I have an older brother. He's two years older than me. And, and if we were both at home and both helping, it was inevitable that he would mess with me and I would mess with him while my dad's head was under the hood. And then he'd come out and he'd see us and he'd be like, boys, stop, pay attention. And then I have memories similar to that where maybe my brother had gone off to school and it was just me and now it's only me standing there watching my dad work with his hands. And I can remember many times him needing something and turning to me and saying, get your hands out of your pocket. (laughs) Help me. Have eyes to see what I'm doing. Pay attention to what's happening. Okay? That's a confession of sin of sorts. But it's happening in your homes too, right? Uh, All of us know what it is to stand around with our hands in our pockets, not really paying attention and seeing that there is something to do. There is a way to help. And that really is somewhat of a theme of what's happening here in our passage in the early church. This first problem that has presented itself, it echoes this truth. The more we have people in the church, the more we're going to have needs in the church. And the more people we have and the more needs we have, the more problems we're going to have amongst ourselves. Right? Increase the population and you will have more needs, you will have more problems, you will have more conflict. It's just true about humanity. And so what's happened, the specific problem that has happened here in the early church, here in Acts chapter 6, is that some widows seem to be neglected in the daily distribution That would be things like bread and water. Now, the best understanding of this that I have is that Jerusalem was the logical place for widows who may be spread far and wide to relocate. As they needed attention, as they needed mercy, as they needed care, the more they drew close to Jerusalem, the more help, the more presence there would be. And there were Greek-speaking Jewish widows, and there were Hebrew-speaking Jewish widows. And somehow it seems that the Hebrew-speaking widows were getting more favorable attention than the Greek-speaking widows. 
Now, the text doesn't say this, but perhaps it played out something like this. Some of the widows realized, hey, we didn't get as much food or food on this particular day, and my friend Mildred did. So I'm going to pick up the phone and call my son-in-law, who will do something about this. So, so Gladys picks up the phone and calls Mildred, and Mildred says, well, I didn't get any either, but I know that such and such did. Well, my son-in-law can do something about it. So she fires off an email to the son-in-law, and the son-in-law says, what, you're being neglected? Well, we'll do something about this. I'll post something on social media. We'll get attention on this, right? Is he saying they had phones and social media back then? No, but I am making a point. So there started to be this tension. The passage says a grumbling complaint, murmuring. We're familiar with this in any church, right? And so the apostles hear this complaint and they're busy preaching the word and they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't just stand there. Do something. Get your hands out of your pocket. There are plenty of people who could do something about this need. Why should we have to address every need that come, comes up? And so you see where I'm going with this. That God's people are gifted and capable to serve and to do. But isn't it true we tend to stand around with our hands in our pockets or maybe make a phone call or fire off an email or post on social media rather than doing something, rather than serving. The more people we have, the more needs we will have, the more problems we will have. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who I've been reading through his commentaries and sermons on Acts, he has some wonderful little commentary I'm going to try to share with you. I don't know if I have it on a slide or not. Perhaps I do. We're about to find out. Oh, yes, we do. Martin, Martin Lloyd-Jones, as he tracks what's happening here in Acts, these first few chapters that we've looked at, he says, you know what, if you pay attention, you can really see the tactics of the evil one. You can see how Satan works among God's people. And he suggests two, and I've added a third, which is he comes against the apostles early on with threats, with flogging, with beating, which is some of what we looked at last week. You remember they put the apostles in jail, Peter and John, and said, do not speak in this name anymore. And so Satan loves to shut down or attempt to shut down God's word by making God's people fearful. Trying to make them too fearful to preach, to talk about the name, too fearful to be the church. But secondly, and this is the point of what's happening in Acts chapter 6, Peter and John showed great bravery and boldness. We considered that last week. And they pushed through that fear. So this, you could see, is another tactic of the evil one. Let's get the people to grumble and turn on each other. And let's task the apostles with many things so that they're too busy to preach. So that they have to draw their attention away from the primary task of preaching God's word. Let's just spread them thin. Let's give them a death by a thousand cuts. 
And here in God's wisdom and his provision of his people in the church, the Lord gives wisdom to the apostles and they say, no, no, no. We will find a way to address these needs and not be distracted from the primary by the secondary, right? Now, you see this approach, these tactics. And by the way, the third that I would add to that is let's try to make the ministers too careful to preach. Let's give them threats of hate speech, right? Let's give them the pressure of having to conform to the culture or lose their popularity. Then they'll be so careful when they speak in public that they'll never talk about sexuality. They'll never talk about money. They'll never talk about racial tensions. And by the way, we've talked about all those things but money so far. But that one's coming, right? It actually was in the chapter just before this, but for the sake of time, we skipped it. But we're coming back to it. So too fearful to preach, too busy to preach, too careful, too timid to preach. Those are the tactics, not the only ones, but those are three tactics that the evil one would use within the church and among people to try to shut down the bold proclamation of the gospel and of God's word. It's not any new tactic. If you're familiar with the book of Nehemiah, the rebuilding of the wall around Jerusalem, in Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 15 and 17, there's this image of Nehemiah saying that our men are trying to build the wall with sword and trowel. A sword in one hand and a trowel in the other. That is to say, the sword is used to beat off the enemy while I have this trowel trying to build the wall at the same time. And that's a picture of being too busy and too distracted from the kingdom and the work of God. So sword and trowel is oftentimes the posture those in ministry feel like they're having to take. Emails and social media, right? And then trying to do the work of the church. It's been like that since the beginning. And it can be like that now. But in the midst of this problem, in Acts chapter 6, the Lord, through His people, provides a solution. And that is simply delegate faithful servants to address ministry needs as they arise. Delegate faithful servants. In verses 3 through 4, the solution is simple. The apostles say, look, appoint a few good men to address this immediate need. Specifically, he says, address seven men. For whatever reason, seven was the number that they thought would do. But he does say men. And there are different words that could be used for human persons. But this is the male masculine word, the word of husband, of man, of male. And the apostles said, surely among us there are seven good and faithful men who have a good reputation, a proven witness of who they are, and they're full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom. Which is to say, they can rise to the need, they can be trusted to serve widows. Now remember what the widow was. She was needy and she was vulnerable. 
So if we're going to send people to her, we're going to send the best of the best. They're going to be faithful, proven, filled with the Spirit, and filled with wisdom. And there is the quick, first, immediate job description of what we believe to be the office of the deacon, the servant. The word deacon simply means servant. And we believe that as this plays out in Scripture, it forms an office. But don't ever let that truth of there being an office downplay the reality that we're all to be servants of the king and the kingdom. More on that later. Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8, and Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16 show us something about the nature of how God uses His people to meet needs. Listen to those passages briefly. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. And if it is serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. And if it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. God's Word is always saying, consider your gifts, who you are, and how they meet the needs around you. We're supposed to be thinking that way. Don't just stand there with your hands in your pocket. Have eyes to see how you can contribute to a solution. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Don't just stand there with your hands in your pocket. Realize that God has gifted His people. He's called His people to be the church. There are specific offices to be filled. But we are all called to be servants of the King in the kingdom. You see, there are solutions to our problems and to our needs within our midst. The problem that we need to consider personally is if we have eyes to see it. Do you see yourself as a spectator or as a participant? Do you see yourself as a consumer or as a contributor in the kingdom of God? There is something for everyone to do. There are solid and faithful men who can serve as our deacons, but they don't serve alone. Everyone can come in alongside them and contribute to the needs, to the causes that they call us to address. As a matter of fact, it's brought to my attention that our diaconate, our deacons right now, are down two in number. 
to hit what we have said in the past would be our minimal number of deacons to help address our needs. We're, sh we're two people short of that right now. And it just so happens that August is the month for nominations. And so it would be appropriate, I think, for a little commercial here. As you've heard this description of the office of deacon, and this is a partial description that we've given, perhaps people are coming to your mind. Perhaps there are men in our midst who have not served, but very well could serve, because they meet these description of a proven witness, of being faithful servants, willing servants, filled with the Holy Spirit and with wisdom. That's this first description of a deacon. Now when we get into August, I'll address it in greater detail. But how about now if in June? Some of you hear that, and maybe you think, some of you men, well, I do kind of feel like I've had my hands in my pockets. And I do feel like I've been a spectator. And it has bothered me a little bit. I'd like to step forward and serve. If there's a need, I'd like to get my hands dirty. Well, consider that. You have time to pray about it. Maybe some of you need to encourage others to consider this. But we have a need. At least two. At least two. So consider whether or not God is opening your eyes and calling you to help us keep the main thing the main thing. Now, why do this? What's the idea of designating these seven men in Acts chapter 6 to tend to the needs of the widows, to do that busy and important work? Well, quite simply, it's to make sure that they don't lose focus from the primary task and become distracted or deterred from maintaining the work of ministry. The primary duty in ministry, which is what? It's what we were told in Acts chapter 2. The ministry of the Word, the sacraments, and prayer. The apostles could very easily be distracted or deterred in their primary task if they go and do everything. If they're consumed and spread thin and their attention is everywhere. That's the whole purpose. That's the genius and the beauty of what is at work here. Now let me tell you on a personal level, the truth of this passage was never more true to me than about 19 years ago when I was the new campus minister with RUF and the chaplain at Erskine College. And we decided to start our large group Bible study on Sunday nights. And it, you may know that on most campuses, a large group Bible study means there's going to be a minister, he's going to teach, we're going to sing. It's going to be kind of like this. Well, ours was not like that. Ours included a meal, as you know, outdoors at the barn. And so what that meant was every week there was grass to be cut, fire ants to be treated, a meal to be shopped for, a meal to be cooked for up to 100 plus people, a kitchen to be cared for, a serving team to be had, firewood to be split and stacked, a cleanup crew, a sermon to have, a handout to have, songs to be sung, a music team, a closing prayer, and then a podcast posted by the end of the night. Oh, and meanwhile, I was married and had four children. I didn't have to spend a single day wondering 
if I would need help. And so I made an appeal to the students who were interested in those things. And I said, we need some team captains. And that's literally what we did and how we did it for 19 years. We would make an appeal for who wants to serve? Who wants to help? Who wants to contribute? And the truth is, you always have a lot of people who are there to eat the hamburger. They'll show up and they'll leave. But you've got a few special people that'll say, I'll come early, I'll cook, I'll stay late, I'll clean up, I'll contribute, I'll do music, I'll make the handout. And so all that responsibility, instead of dumping on one or two, is spread among a dozen. And no one task is overwhelming, no one is miserable, no one is overdone, and collectively, a team of work got it all done for 19 years. I tell you, I learned everything I needed to know about the diaconate through that experience. I mean, imagine. It's impossible. It's an impossible task. And so all that translates into every local church. There is not one or two persons that are gifted and capable of doing everything. But God provides His people. And the real question to ask is, do you have a heart to serve? Do you have a willingness to step forward? Is it in you? Can you do it with joy? Look, I've had my share of students and interns that when you ask them to wash the dirty cooler, you ask one person to wash the dirty cooler so that the 50-plus can drink out of it, and this is an actual story. And, and he puts his hands in and he's like, oh, the water's cold. And my wife was standing there and she looked at him and said, well, I'll do it. And so she took the cooler and here she is almost 50. She's washing the cooler. And I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm thinking all kinds of things and I didn't say any of them. But you got to have a, willing, a willingness to get your hands dirty or cold, Right? To be a servant is to say, for the good of the 50, I'll do this for 15 seconds, right? And some of you, you've got that in you, that heart to serve, to go the extra mile, to do the extra thing, to show up during the week at the church to do something when nobody else knows that you're here, but it's got to be done. And instead of grumbling, you'll do it because you know you're serving the Lord. You're serving His church. You're serving His people. And that's how the ministry reach extends. That's how the, the church and its ministry extends into the earth. It's through the many small things that are done with the right heart and the right attitude for the good of the ministry going forward. Some of you need to feel that sense of call because there's something for you to do. And you feel like you've had your hands in your pockets and just benefited from other people doing everything. We're not called to be that kind of church. There really is something for someone, for everyone to do. I'll even comment. You've probably seen that a few people through COVID have done an extraordinary amount of work. They're not all deacons. Sometimes they're young, young men, very young men. And you've seen them rise up and serve, and serve well. It's a beautiful thing. That's what the church looks like. There's something to do? 
I'll do it. So consider your heart. Maybe God is calling you to help strengthen the, our effectiveness in the purpose of the church to have the ministry go forth, the ministry of the word and worship, to not be slowed down or distracted because many hands jump in and serve faithfully. Now, why is that? What's the big picture in the goal? I'll close with this. It's to continue making disciples of all kinds. That's the goal of everything. And that's what you see here at the end of verse 7. And so the word of God spread. And the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now you need to feel the, the weightiness of that statement and the significance of it. Remember, it was the priesthood and the religious elite that were the opponents to Jesus, to Peter, and to John. But what they see the church doing and the boldness of the preaching, some of them can no longer deny it. And those priests are converted to the gospel. They're converted to the Christian faith. It's a beautiful thing. And the church, as the wheels of this early church, this young church, begin to turn, you see that they're committed to reaching men, women, children, making sure children are nurtured in covenant community. You see the conversion of people, the coming into the household of God, even including priests. And all of this equipping God's people to be God's blessing in God's world. And that's a description of the church. God equips His people to be His blessing in His world. And everybody has a part to play. Everybody has a part to play, young and old. Everybody can pray. Even if you're confined to your home and you can't gather easily with the people of God, you can pray for the ministry of the church, for the preaching of the word, for the serving of others. There is something for everyone to do. Just this week, by the way, to give you a tangible example, you may know you heard the announcement this morning about keys in the church, right? Keys in the church. So we've rekeyed the outdoor, the outside doors, and we're going through this process. You heard. Let me remind you: if you have a key and we don't know it, please see Carol Howard in the back of the church this morning. But I was up here, and I came to work on a sermon, and I found myself in a conversation. There were three of us, and we were talking about keys. And who has keys and how do we get keys? And we were several minutes into this conversation. And then I suddenly remembered, I'm supposed to be working on a sermon right now. Thank you all for the sermon illustration. And so I literally said to them, it would not be right for me to neglect working on my sermon to tend to the distribution of keys. Right? You two can handle this. You don't need me to contribute to this. That's a picture of it right there. Imagine if I was having to handle all the keys of the church. You don't want that to happen. It would be a disaster. But we have, God has given us His people that will do things, whatever it takes, to keep the church keeping the main thing, the main thing. The more people, the more needs, the more problems. But we've got to keep our focus we need to get our hands dirty 
and roll up our sleeves and be the church and be committed, be devoted to keeping the main thing, the main thing. Now, I do want to close with a kind of announcement and an application of sorts. And that is, I am so happy to be able to officially announce to you uh, that I do have a successor at Erskine College with, with RUF. Uh, he jumped through the last hoop this week. And he and his wife and their four children are moving to Due West on October, no, not October, on June the 26th. This is Jonathan Cook, a former student of mine at Erskine. His wife, Jody, also a former student of mine. She played soccer at Erskine. And these are now their four children, ages 9, 7, 5, and 3. Jack, Henry, Maxine, and Madison. That family of six is moving to Due West with a 26-foot truck on Saturday, June the 26th at 10 a.m. And I want to go help them move in. But I have a wedding that day. I've got to go tend to the ministry of word and prayer in another location. But some of you, perhaps, if your Saturday at 10 a.m. is available, perhaps you'd be willing to come to me and say, you know what, I'll throw one or two people in the car, and we don't want her to have to unload that 26-foot truck by herself while Jonathan tends to those four children, right? <laughs> We would love to help them. And maybe they'll be here with us someday. Maybe, maybe not. But to help a servant of the Lord and encourage him as he re relocates. I would say to you, if it applies, don't just stand there with your hands in your pocket. Do something. If you're willing and able to help, let's make this exhibit A of how we can be the people of God, step in with our two cents to offer, and be a blessing to others. This is just one of a hundred examples that happens around us every week. Could we pray that we'll have eyes to see how we might be the church and seek to serve and bless the king and his kingdom around us? Let's pray together. Oh Lord, would you open our eyes to see the many things that would extend the reach of the gospel here in Greenwood and beyond. And Lord, would you work in the hearts of our men, some who could be called to fill the office of deacon, others who could step alongside them and help serve and do many important tasks as they already do. But Lord, help us to not be spectators, but participants in your work of ministry. And we ask this and we pray it together in Jesus' name. Amen.